Baseball 365 Podcast. And here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 41 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, host of this show, and here with me as always is my co-host, Andrew McQuiston. Andrew, how you doing, man? Doing good. I uh, My first thing I was going to do is congratulate you on the Cardinals advancing. And, <laughs> gosh, they're already, they're already down 2-0, so I don't know if it's a congratulations or a Condolences. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think both apply. Yeah. Um, I'll take the I'll take it because I didn't I mean, you know, I didn't know if we'd make it past that division series and Landon St. Louis was a pretty tight one, but I didn't feel great about us going against Washington. I felt worse about that one even than I did the Atlanta series. It's funny, the wild card yeah. Washington Nationals here in the NLCS and I they were the wild card team who just had to who barely won that game last time we were recording. It looked like they were done for the majority of the podcast. And now here they are, they beat the Dodgers. And I thought going in, they were going to beat the Cardinals too. Yeah, they're looking good. Yeah. On tonight's episode, we are going to talk about the playoffs as the division series are all wrapped up. And we've got two games of the NLCS that have been completed and the ALCS game one's going on as we're recording and after that we're going to discuss our fantasy MVPs for the season with Andrew and myself both coming up with top five MVPs for hitters and pitchers over this last season now one thing I'll say before we get started was that I spent the majority of the last two weeks getting up real early for work up at 3 a.m. so I didn't see near as much of the division series as I hoped I saw three of the five Cardinal games and listened to the other two. And I caught all the game fives of the, that the get series that made it to game fives, but not too much else. Andrew, how much did you get to see? Uh, quite a bit. I pretty much anything late in the evening and sometimes at work, we've had some of it on. So I've, yeah, I've caught a good amount of it. Sometimes at work, like you haven't been yeah. able to watch all of it. <laughs> no, well, we don't. We have to pull it up on like the computer, so we'll be yes. like huddled around the computer. You know, it's we can only do so much of that, but we've been doing <laughs> more. We've been doing more of it than, than we probably should be. So, okay, we'll just stop. I'll stop asking questions then, just in case somehow there's a coworker <laughs> listening. <laughs> okay, well. We'll start off then, and we'll talk about the American League and the one division series that didn't go five games. It only went three, and that's the Yankees and the Twins after they faced off. And like every other series I've seen between the Yankees and Twins, the Yankees broke the heart of the Twins fans. Clean sweep, 3 nothing, And there really wasn't a single game that ended up being close. Andrew, I don't know if there's a single team in baseball who has a franchise's number in the playoffs better than the Yankees and the Twins. Yeah, no kidding. I, I think I heard that the Twins have lost, it's either 15 or 16 consecutive playoff games. And I think most of those are to the Yankees, 12 or 13 of them maybe. I don't know that for sure. Like exact, it's, it's somewhere in that range. But yeah, it's just crazy. 
I didn't. They've lost that many games in a row in the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Twin, twins have lost fifteen or sixteen in a row. I can't remember which. You know, I remember the late two thousands, that first decade, and the Yankees just having some heartbreaking wins over the Twins. Like if you're a Twins fan, I remember. A-Rod hitting a big home run off of Joe Nathan in 2009, the year the Yankees won their last World Series. That was A-Rod's big playoff run. I don't remember if it was that year or the year before that there was a controversial game where Berkman, I think it was Berkman, hit an RBI double. That really was a foul ball, but this was pre-replay. That cost them that game. It just seems like they're... They've just broken their hearts over and over again. It's I feel for Twins fans because right when I saw that they had the Yankees as their playoff like likely team they were going to be facing, I was like, oh, no, this is going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah, it's rough. They had a great year, though. I mean, can't take away from them. But, yeah, it's it's tough to go out like that. Yeah. And it'll be curious to see how they do next year in terms of the Indians. I think – the Indians should have a better season next year than they had. They had so many injuries, and the White Sox are up and coming, and it, they may still be another full year away from contending, but I won't rule it out, especially we'll see what happens this offseason. But they'll have, I think the competition will be pretty tough for them again. And before this series, I had not heard of this. Randy Dobnak? Is that how you even say it? Yeah, I believe so. Apparently, this guy was playing an independent ball just two years ago, and even as recent as his last offseason, he was driving for Uber to make ends meet. And here he was starting in Game 2 of a division series for the Twins. And I was thinking about this a lot when I was this oh, a couple last week, which is, I don't know if this is more cool because of the backstory, or sad that the Minnesota Twins had this guy starting for them in game two of a playoff game. Which do you lean on that? Uh, definitely sad. Yeah, I don't... The story is funny, but... I couldn't believe they started him in that spot. I just... Oh, man, it's ridiculous to me. Yeah, I think it's just sad that, that he was the starter personally, but... Yep. And, you know, they were looking like a divi- they had they were in first place in that division in July and they had opportunities to go out there and make moves to get pitching. Yeah. And instead, they don't make any moves and they go into October with Randy Dobnak starting game two of a playoff series against the New York Yankees. Yeah, that's, well, it's just so that's like inexcusable. It really is. It's bad. I mean, you go through the whole season. This is. Like, kind of your year, you know, the Twins. I mean, just throughout the season. And then it's like you get to the end when it matters most, and that's what you throw out there. I think it's embarrassing. If I was a Twins fan, I'd have been pissed. Yep. Yeah. And it's not like trading is quite as costly as it used to be in the past either. And I don't know what those discussions were like with them and other teams, but I can't imagine that even – they could have made a move and held on to Royce Lewis and Kirilov. Maybe, maybe had they would had to move a Larnick or something like that. But they have other pieces to try making a move, and instead, nothing. 
Okay, well, let's move on to the other ALDS series where the Astros faced the um, oh, Tampa Bay Rays, and that one went five games. And it looked like it was going to be a quick series for the Astros after Verlander and Cole each had absolutely dominant starts. And Houston had a 2-0 lead. But then Grinky was hit around a loss. Tampa managed to somehow beat Verlander in Game 4. And that led to a Game 5 where it was Garrett Cole against Tyler Glass now. But Cole, once again, threw eight dominant innings. The Astros got the Glass now early, and they won 6-1. to one. Cole finished the series with 5, 25 strikeouts in 15 innings. He was pretty dang incredible. Yeah, jeez. And there was never a point. I watched most of both Cole games. And there was never a point where he wasn't in control of the game. It's just, yeah, what a stud. He is a stud. But unfortunately for them, as we're in one game of the ALCS, because that had to go five games, that meant Grinky's out here in game one. And it looks like the Yankees are up pretty handily right now. And you can't help but think about how different the series could be looking going into game one. If they had managed to finish it off in three or four games, Cole could be out there right now facing the Yankees and could be a whole different story. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to say Uh question for you. I don't know if, I don't know if I actually talked about this with you, but I'm just going to bring it up now. Um, so you know how Verlander started on short rest, right? Yeah. In, in game four. So situation just to, you know, go back over it. Astros are up 2-1 in the series. Best of five, obviously. And game four, you know, Verlander had pitched game one. Game four, it was either he could start on short rest, game four, or you can save him for game five, and they would have probably started Urquidy or, you know, whoever. I mean, obviously, we know the result now, but without just removing the result... Would you have done that? Like, do you think that was the right call or the wrong call? Or what do you think of it? You know, that's a good question. Obviously, obviously it looks bad now knowing the result. But I have my opinion on it. It's come up with a guy at work, and we've talked about it. I was just curious your thoughts. Here's what I'll say. Um, For starters, yes, I think it was the right decision. And here's why. You know, I beat up. One thing I don't like is throwing a starter on short rest in game six of a series when you still have to win game seven or you're maybe you still could save them for game seven on normal rest. I'm a bigger fan of doing that, but given that they could still throw Garrett Cole game five, I don't have as big of an issue with this because if things go wrong for Verlander, you still got your co-ace ready to go game five as compared to if you throw Urquidy or Miley out there and you lose that game, you're only using one of your two aces as compared to both of them. Yeah. It literally what you just said is my exact thought on it. I, I just kept, I mean, I was getting, cause guy I was talking to, he was just saying how he wouldn't have done it. You know, Verlander's older and he's actually Verlander had actually never pitched on short rest ever. And uh, so that, that kind of surprised me. But um, we were talking about it, and I was just saying, I'm like, 
I don't think that the result of this game matters that much because you can go to Cole next. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you throw Urquidy or whoever you throw and, you know, you just kind of assume the loss. I mean, you're on the road. You're almost, I mean, that's like they're almost an underdog in that game. And then it's like you have one shot in game five, whereas yep. I kind of looked at it. I And granted, they could have maybe thrown Verlander and Cole, but who knows if Verlander even pitches good in that game five mm-hmm. like Cole did, you know? You're in a hole. So, yeah. And it like it basically removes Cole from that series, other than, like, game five relief. That's the only, you know. Yep. So I was trying to kind of put it all together in my head, but then he goes out there and gets pummeled and, it was, uh, I don't know, I, I could see both sides of it, too. So I was just kind of wondering your thought on it, but pretty much the same as mine. Yeah, it'd be completely different if they had one or the other and they threw Verlander game four. I'd have said, yeah. no, that's dumb. Yeah. See if you can hold, see if you can win. In worst case, you've got Verlander game five. But, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> now we'll move on to the National League, where both series were pretty dang awesome. Andrew, I don't remember two National League Division Series being this good in one season. Do you have any that come to mind? No, I mean, I don't. Division Series don't stick out like years later, usually. But uh, this was pretty good. Wednesday was, I mean, it was a fun day with both of those games going. And knowing they were both winner-take-all, teams were pretty even. It uh, It was cool. Yeah, but the first series, that fifth game didn't really matter much, and that's the first one we'll talk about, which is the Cardinals and Braves. Going into the playoffs, you and I both talked about this being the tightest series to predict a winner, but we both predicted St. Louis in five, which is what happened. And the first game, four games were all really intense, with both teams having their bullpens blow some leads late in games. And I knew going into game five that whoever lost this series, they were going to have some big regrets as games got away from each of them. Then game five happened, and it was over as quick as any playoff game I've ever seen. The Cardinals tied the record for most runs in the first inning with 10 runs in the top of the first, and it was over just like that. And I was thinking about it, and it brought back a few memories to me. And one of them was the 2004 ALCS, where the that was the series that the Yankees came or the Yankees blew a three nothing lead, and Red Sox came back to win that series and break the Bambino curse and win in seven. And they blew out the Yankees in that game seven. I'll, I don't remember much other than a big Johnny Damon grand slam. And then the other one, I apologize, Andrew, in advance for even bringing this up, but it was the game seven of the NLCS with the Marlins and Cubs which was the game after the infamous Game 6 with Bartman. And the Marlins beat up Kerry Wood pretty handily in that game. Now, I'm a Cards homer, but I still felt horrible for Braves fans early in that game. Yeah, man, I... uh, It's rough. Like, I was saying the the other day, because I was at the... um, It made... It reminded me of Game... Uh, I think it was five game five of the 2017 NLCS Cubs Dodgers. I was at the game. It was the year after the Cubs won it. 
Um, Cubs were down three to one in the series. They lost the first three, I believe, and then won game four. And it was kind of, you know, you had dreams of them coming back, but it just, you know, we knew it was a steep, steep hill to climb. But uh, I go to the game with my buddy and, you know, obviously tickets aren't cheap and food and beer and all the money you spend. And it was nine to nothing in the fourth. And um, I forget what they lost, 10 to three, or I don't even remember the final score. But I remember sitting there in the third or fourth inning and it was kind of cold and, you know, it's just, they're getting smoked and I was just not having fun. Like it was not fun. And I tell you when that, when St. Louis started off that game like that, that's what I was thinking of for the Braves fans. Cause I'm like, how do you as a Braves fan in this spot down 10 to nothing in the you know second inning or whatever it was, enjoy that it's just rough i mean i can't even imagine being there yeah it's rough and like you said the money you spend the energy going in and it's just all deflated i mean i had never seen this before but they brought in defensive subs after the first half inning it was yeah and you we were talking in a group chat do the cardinals do they take flaherty out now and just let him pitch game one yeah, and then that he was pitched a, over. Then he threw over a hundred pitches, still. Yeah, which was even crazier to me. But I guess they just yeah, decided just, we're not gonna we're not gonna let any chance of history happening here. And if it is gonna happen, we're going down with our ace. But yeah. yeah, I think I think I was at the point where I didn't know for sure about first inning. I didn't. I wouldn't have had a problem with it, but I would have taken him out after three to five innings, just yeah. abbreviated start, kind of like the end of the regular season that happens a lot on pitchers final starts when they're clearly in the playoffs maybe something like that but anyway Atlanta had a great season I I felt bad for the way it ended but well we'll just move on now and finally we got the Nats and Dodgers squared off after the Nats won the wild card game as we were recording last week and I remember saying that the Nationals were the biggest threat in the National League to the Dodgers. And I think you agreed with that. And they matched up better with L.A. than anyone. And sure enough, it was a really close series going five games. And unlike the other National League Division series, this game five was a great one. Los Angeles scored three times early in the first couple innings. Bueller was dealing. And Kershaw came in the seventh inning to get Adam Eaton out with, I think... They probably had somebody on base at that point, right? I wasn't watching at this point. I fell asleep. Uh, I believe so, yeah. And then the eighth inning comes, and Kershaw throws a curveball that's a really good curve that Rendon golfed out. And then Juan Soto went back-to-back with him on a fastball that got a little bit too much of the plate. And just like that, the game was tied. And as Soto was rounding those bases... I was watching the replay the next morning and I saw Kershaw in his face and it looked like that guy had seen a ghost and the game went into extra innings. Dave Roberts chose to bring in Joe Kelly to pitch in the 10th inning, leaving Kenley Jansen in the bullpen with the season on the line. And that decision ended up being a bad one as two guys, uh, Adam Eaton led off with a walk or don't hit a double. Soto was intentionally walked. And then that brought up Howard Kendrick 
with the Grand Slam to pretty much finish the series off. And Kelly was still left in the game to give up that Grand Slam. So, Andrew, I got two discussion points here. First, we're going to start off with Kershaw. His postseason struggles continued here again this October. As a fan of the guy, I'm bummed to see this continue happen to him. And I know you, this is Kershaw's your guy. What are your thoughts with all this? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's rough, man. I, the next day, I mean, I, I've always liked Kershaw. I've said it before. I mean, I just think he's a great dude. He's an awesome pitcher. I'm rooting for him to get over the hump and I'll continue to, um, but yeah, it's, it's like the, um, I I've kind of mentioned before, I feel like baseball there, you have to have so much data and like large sample sizes to make evaluations on things. And the playoffs are generally small samples. Um, but the sample on Kershaw's playoff performance is just getting larger and larger and larger. And it isn't good. And it's just, it's tough because I, I just want to see him break through and get it. I mean, I'm not a Dodger fan by any means. I, I, I just root for him, you know. So I, I was bummed for sure. I I definitely wanted the Dodgers to win that series. I was bummed the next day, and I don't have anything against the Nats. I mean, I I like them; they're fine, you know. Nothing against them, but I was just I saw the uh, the post game interviews the next day with Kershaw and Bueller, and it was just rough. I just felt bad for them, but they'll be back. I mean, they'll have another shot, like they like they seem to do every year. It's just like it's kind of almost getting to the point that it's mind blowing that they're not able to get over the hump because they've had more shots than anybody in the last five to seven years. Yep. Kershaw has a career ERA of 2.44 during the regular season and it's 4.43 during the postseason. It's just, yeah, it's nuts. Cause this, yeah, I mean he has he has the lowest ERA in a hundred years. Like it's and basically it's MLB history in in the regular season. I mean, I mean this isn't like just another you know it's we're talking about all time and and yeah it's just for whatever reason this randomness in October that it's just crazy it is it, and it's getting each time that it happens. It's more and more like, oh, my God, I can't believe it's still happening because <laughs> you just yeah. expect it, even though he's not admittedly not quite the pitcher that he was when he was at peak. But he's still a top five, top 10 pitcher in baseball, yeah. I think. And but we're up to one hundred and fifty eight career innings in the postseason. And yeah. we're still and it, this just keeps happening. And at, that said. We've talked about this before. It wouldn't shock me at all if they just bowled through the postseason next year and he was the playoff MVP, World Series MVP. Wouldn't shock me. Yeah, I don't think he's it's still really, good enough. I don't think it's really predictive going forward, even though some think that. But I'll admit, like, every time it happens, the, those people's argument gets stronger and stronger. It's 
it's pretty bad. It's definitely bad. And what about this? How much blame does David Roberts deserve for postseason struggles and for bringing Joe Kelly in in the tenth instead of Kinley? Is this Monday morning quarterback, or is this a legitimate complaint Dodger fans should have against him? Uh, I mean, the legitimate Dodger fans would probably know be closer to that situation than I am, where you know they're following it a little bit closer. I mean, from what I understand, there's Dodger fans that are fed up with Kenley, you know, and that's somewhat understandable. I, it's just if it's me, I mean, I'm using Kenley. Like if I'm going down, that's who I'm going down with. I'm not going down with Joe Kelly, but. I mean, he looked good in the ninth, didn't look good in the 10th. You know, it's just, I I definitely thought it was weird, though, that in that spot, they just didn't use him. I think Mm -hmm. he, I think somebody mentioned that he was warming up. I mean, if I'm Kenley, the the day, you know, after the game or the next day, I'm like, just trade me. I mean, why am I on this team? Yeah. Like, it doesn't, it it doesn't make sense. Like, if you're not going to use me, in that spot, then goodbye. Send me somewhere else. Because there's plenty of teams that would have used him in that spot. I mean, a lot of teams. You know, mm-hmm. still a stud reliever. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, as much as anybody wants to rip on Dave Roberts, he has a better pulse on his guys than pretty much everyone else. You know, they they know their guys, and I don't want to. I don't want to rip him too bad, but yeah, it definitely was kind of like a little weird to me. I mean, I, I would have been leaning on Kenley and let the chips fall where they may. Yep. Go down with your best guys. Some even yeah. were unhappy with them putting Kershaw in, in the, in that spot. And I'm like, Nope, that's a great spot to put him in. Your season's on the line. You bring out your best pitchers. Bueller's out. You go Kershaw. Then you go Kenley. Well, yeah, Roberts did half of that, right? He put Kershaw in, and it didn't work out. But he, sh- I think he should have had Kinley in there in the tenth. But yeah, some of it too. It's like people will say that after it happens. It's like, well, what would you have done? You know, uh-huh. and it, just because you would have done something different doesn't mean that would have worked either. So, I mean, they could have brought in Kenley and had the same result. Yes, they could. They could have not brought in Kershaw and had the same result. I mean. You know, a lot of it is like you, you kind of trust the manager to have the read on that. And I don't know. I'm not necessarily convinced that anybody else would have had a better plan of action, but it's hard to say. Now we're into the championship series and we have two games that are already under our belt. And I won't, you know, Andrew, you and I talked before you had the card or the nationals in five and I had the nationals in six. So we both had the nationals winning going in and here we are two games in the Cardinals just lost their first two at home. And not only that, Anibal Sanchez and Max Scherzer both were had no hitters going really deep into each game. They are it. I'm now thinking that this. They'd better win with Flaherty tomorrow because I think if they don't, or uh, tomorrow, I guess that would be Monday. If they don't win that game Monday, I think this is a clean sweep. Yeah, it definitely could be a sweep. I I thought the game that the Cardinals should win was game one, and they didn't win it. So, 
It's tough. Flaherty's good. Now, face the guy he's facing is pretty good too. Yeah, Strasburg Flaherty on Monday night. That should be fun. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully it will be. Cardinals need to win. <laughs> I'd like to see this at least be a series. That's all. I, I picked the Nats to win, and I hoped for six, and was like, I just want it to be competitive. And so far, I mean, the Cardinals pitchers are doing their part, but the hitting has the Nats have absolutely shut those guys down. I tell you, if the Nats, if the Nats can continue to get, I, I thought that the Nats undoing, if there was, you know, if the Nats go down, I feel like it's going to be because they don't trust any pitchers besides basically the big three starters mm-hmm. and, and like Daniel Hudson. Mm-hmm. But Doolittle's been pretty decent the last yep. couple times out, and obviously Annabelle last night. I mean, if they can get contributions from the other pitchers besides those top guys, they're going to be really hard to beat. Even by yeah. even Houston or the Yankees, whoever get you know, if they move on, if obviously if Washington moves on, it's not over yet. But if they move on, and even against one of these teams, I mean, those that that top of that rotation, it's no joke. I mean, it's as good as it's really is as good as Houston's. Pretty close. I mean, maybe yeah. not quite, but it's. Close enough. Not far off. Yeah, it's close enough. So, And what if they were to sweep the Cardinals here, win in five games, and meanwhile the Astros and Yankees beat the crap out of each other, and that goes 7-7, yeah. seven, seven, and they're throwing everything out there game seven, just trying to get by, and they've got to go into the World Series against a rusted Nats team who's got Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin all set up game one, two, and three. Yeah. I mean – you never know. Be interesting. Yeah, be interesting. All right. Well, now it's time to talk about fantasy MVPs. And Andrew, I asked you to come up with your top five hitters and pitchers for MVP, for fantasy MVP. And I did the same thing. And I'm sure there'll be some overlap, but I'm curious to hear just how much overlap we'll have here. And I didn't really give Andrew any parameters, and I did as a more of a who do you think was the most valuable players in terms of not like who were the top five hitters, but just who were the five most valuable in terms of you can make it however you want in terms of being the best player or maybe being the best value. Just kind of make it however. I kind of tried to blend it all together when making mine, and but I told Andrew to do it however you want, so. We're going to do this, and we're going to start off with the hitters and go from five to one. That sound good, Andrew? Sounds good. Curious, okay. to see how much, curious to see if we have any overlap here. I bet we'll have some. I wouldn't be surprised if – well, let's yeah, do, we let me ask you this. I have five hitters written down, but I wrote down a total of 12 net hitters. How many, did you, how many guys did you kind of I wrote down toss around? Like, yeah, I wrote down like eleven or twelve. Okay. Well, that's interesting. And about so, about the same pitchers. I was just writing down names and then kind of ranking them out. It, it's I mean these. It's like splitting hairs. It, yes, you can flip the order as much as you want. Okay. Well, who was your number five? So my number five uh, had a. I looked up. I did the NFBC ADPs, just what their ADP was before the season. Yeah. NFBC ADP of one thirty eight, 
22-year-old Raphael Devers, the Boston Red okay. Sox. Okay. Yeah, just – he mean, was, was – he, did you have him or no? He was an honorable mention for me. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he um, – I mean, just a monster season. Like, if you had him, I, I'm pretty sure I don't have it in front of me. I think he finished as the number one or number two third baseman. I know it was top two. Probably, I'm guessing, with Arenado off the top of my head, but I don't know. But, um, yeah, just a monster season across the board. Every category even chipped in eight steals, which we like to laugh about. Yeah, just <laughs> just an awesome year. I mean, I don't know what else to say. If you had him, you definitely were probably in the running or, you know, a lot of teams that were, he was helping win championships. So, Deaver's number five for me. I remember talking about him in our third base episode, and I can't remember the exact verbiage, but we were talking about how big of a year this was for him in terms of I could see it going either way with him with where he was drafted. I think he was something like the 15th third baseman off the board, and I I felt like this was a big year for him one way or the other, and it definitely went right. But what's funny about that and what people don't remember is he didn't hit his first home run until something like May 10th. It was a while into the season. It's kind of like Rizzo last year yeah. in terms of no home runs early and people were panicking. But he was hitting for average and just his fly ball rate was something stupid low. I remember us talking about it. I think in the beginning of May, he had a fly ball rate of something like 23%. <laughs> and then he started, then the power came and man did it. Yeah, I'll admit, I don't know if you can finish your thought. I just had one quick one. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'll, it's, it's not that I didn't think he had the talent, but I'll admit I did not see this coming this season. Not at all. Like, not at all. I mean, he had a 298 on base percentage last year. Yeah. This is like, I knew that, I mean, there's obviously a part of me that knew he could do this. But I definitely didn't think he would do it this season. Not at all. So, good on him. I mean, he's obviously a star. As far as whether or not I'll be in on him at his price next year, (laughs) I don't know. But, yeah, definitely an awesome year. Seeing where he's gone in some of these very early mocks, I have a feeling I won't be in on him. But I will say this. He fits really well for Fenway Park because – what he does really well is just hit it to all fields. He'll hit it to left field. He'll play with that monster and hit Pepper over there. Yeah. And that's that's something that really makes him a good fit there. Yeah, no doubt. All right, well, my number five had an ADP of 225. He was the 25th start set shortstop off the board. And... He was the only player in Major League Baseball to play all 162 games. And in those 162 games, he hit 285 with 33 home runs and 10 steals. Not bad for a guy we were both saying blah about when we discussed him in the shortstop rankings before the season. And that would be Marcus Simeon. Yep, he was on my list. He was he was an honorable mention, but he was I had him listed. Yeah. Nobody saw this coming either. Yeah, I mean, maybe even more than uh, Devers. Just crazy, crazy season. He's really transformed himself as a player, too. I mean, 
on defense and just everything. He's just become a stud. That's the part that's really impressed me because I remember hearing that he was a bad defender at one point in his career. And if you go look on fan graphs at his defensive grades in like 2015, he was a negative five. Oh, yeah. And now yeah, he's was, 14. There used to be jokes about like how many errors. And I remember a couple years ago, I don't, I don't know which season that was, but he was like leading the league in errors, I want to say. I mean, I'd have to look. I almost want to look it up, but I'm not going to do it right this second. But, yeah, he, he had a lot of them. I know that. And it was like an ongoing joke there for a while during portions of years. So. I bet yeah, it was 2015, that year where he was a negative five. And this, it, the improvement started in 2018. He's been incredible both years. And, yeah, now he's locked in there as the shortstop as compared to before. There was it was a wondering if Franklin Barreto or maybe Jorge Mateo was going to come up and take that shortstop role from him. No, he's the guy there now between yeah. what he's done offensively and defensively. Okay, I lied. So I did I did look it up. Thirty five errors in two thousand fifteen, most in the majors by eight. The second <laughs> most word. The second most had twenty seven. Was that he by went, shortstops? No, that's all players. Oh, wow. And then uh, 2016, he was top five in the majors and errors. And last year, he was tied for fourth. So, I mean, it's all just, you know, kind of transformed recently. But I don't even know how many he had this year, but it wasn't much. Yeah. 12. He had 12 this year. That's awesome. As a shortstop, that's awesome. It's really good. Okay, who's your number four? So my number four is the guy that was the reason I did not like Adalberto Mondesi coming into the year. Uh. I'll admit, I was pretty much just wrong on Mondesi. I've kind of uh, eaten that crow, but um, Jonathan VR, number four. What a year, man. Yes, in the when it's hard to find stolen bases, a guy going twenty four forty with yeah. twenty four home runs and forty steals, pretty dang incredible. Yeah, ADP of eighty. I meant to mention, but yeah, it's just one of those things that it's like he's dual eligible at the middle infield. Where you got him and what he did for your team, I mean, he's not a zero in power, and he's you know right there i think he was third in the league in steals and that the combination of stats he just he brought like there was another guy that i had that i really wanted to put in this top five i'll mention him at the end but it's a totally different type of player he's a power type player and i just was like vr is just more valuable because of that speed like the combination like i said it's just it's hard to find what he did i mean it's Basically, nobody does that. So, definitely impressive. Even though he was going... I I agreed with you of taking VR over Mondesi going into the year. But I was still hesitant because 2016, three years ago, he had that 19 home run, 62 stolen base season. And I was one who was taking him at the end of the second round of those 2017 drafts. And he burned me so bad. 
that year with a 293 OBP, pretty much lost his starting gig that season to where it was hard for me to buy in. But this is now two years in a row again of him being really good and basically three out of the last four. And there's all, I'm hearing people already talking of, is this guy a second, third, second round pick? first to the beginning of the third round pick, which is where he was going a few years ago. And that's going to be a fun discussion that we're going to have this off season. Yeah, I think he'll be second or third, probably, probably, I think probably third, but um, yeah, there's people that'll get aggressive on that package. It's just, it's not something that, I mean, like people take Trey Turner in the top five or six, yep. you know, it's not, it's really not that much different. I mean, I don't know. Well, what were we saying about Whit Merrifield before the year? He's got a unique skill set that's yeah. hard to find. Right, right. You yeah, could apply that here. That. It's definitely that. And um, Lucas Beery actually had a real good question he posted on Baseball 365 where he was asking who the top second baseman and drafts were next year. And he, he started off, I think with Glaber and um, Jose Altuve, and you could add your own options. And somebody finally said it. And I was thinking it is Jonathan VR deserve belongs at least in this discussion. And yeah. I ended up adding him into the poll. I don't know if he would be my one, but he definitely belongs in that discussion. I think. Yeah. There's a lot of guys in there. I, Yeah. I was actually thinking about that poll and there, you know, there was names added and stuff later. And I, man, there's a lot of them. I don't even mm-hmm. know my, I don't even know my answer at the moment. I don't remember if I voted. I don't think my, I did. My I'd... guess, my guess is I probably will wind up having Altuve as my one, but I mean, the, the other guys are close to where mm-hmm. I'm not, I wouldn't argue it if you had anybody else. I think Altuve's floor is just so high, but agreed. You know, it's they're close. VR definitely deserves mention with those guys. Okay, well, I think we'll move on. Uh, my number four. You didn't, have, you didn't have him in your top five. I'm guessing. No, actually, he no. wasn't even in my honorable mentions. I don't know why. No. I just I never thought of him, but I don't have. Yeah, he belongs in the discussion. That's with right. what he it's did. Good. It's good to not have a bunch of overlap. So. Yep. <laughs> my number four had a 224 ADP, which is funny because my first one was Marcus Simeon was at 225. This guy was one pick before that, and he was number 23 at his position. That would be Pete Alonzo. He dazzled in the Fall Stars game last year, and the Mets rewarded him with the spot on the opening day roster and he had a record-setting rookie season, hitting 53 home runs with 120 runs batted in. Pete Alonzo's my guy for number four. He was my number three. Okay. Yeah. Man, oh, man. What a season. Holy yeah. cow. I think, uh, I think I may have mentioned it before, but I think that was your best call of the preseason. Yep. I know you, did, you didn't probably think he was hitting 50 homers or maybe oh yeah did. i did i said he was gonna break the <laughs> yeah. record with 53 i laid that one up for you <laughs> but uh yeah just man way to take the lead league by storm Jeez, what a season huh i 
thought his skill set reminded me a lot of Reese Hoskins, and I was hoping for – I was thinking 35 to 40 home runs. That's what I was pumping out there, 250 with 35 to 40 home runs and a really good OBP. And, dang, he did he, – he wouldn't just topped all that. Now, that was with a juiced ball, and it sounds like there we may have a different baseball next year, but that, I think, will tone everybody down a little bit. And, hell, I – that guy's going to be a stud. Yeah. And sounds like he's not like, again, we're talking early 80 early drafts. I'm seeing this off season and people talking about where he's at in ranks. I think people aren't putting him as high as I expect, especially at first base, which is not the deepest position. I can see myself yeah. with some shares of him. I have, I have a feeling he'll wind up as like a second rounder, but we'll see. Okay, I mean, so he, he led he led the league in homers. I just I don't think that he's going to be too much lower than that. But it's hard to, it's hard to project that stuff. So we'll just yeah. have to wait and see. So that was your number three. So that I guess was I my need... three. Yeah. So I guess we'll go right back to your three. My number three was the earliest guy going in drafts that on my list, and that is the guy with forty two ADP. As the fifth first baseman off the board, and he was the third best player in fantasy in fan tracks fantasy amongst hitters. And that would be Cody Bellinger. Was he on your list? <laughs> Number two. <laughs> okay, well, I guess we're just gonna keep doing this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Number two. Cody dropped his strikeout rate from the mid twenty twenties. Uh that'd be twenty mid twenty percent to 16% this year and he took that and that took his batting average from 260 last year to 305 this year. So my question for you, are we buying into this reduced strikeout rate and raised average? I know average is a hard thing to predict, but if the strikeout rate is down, the batting average obviously is going to go up most years. When you say buying in like I mean what does that mean? Is he a sub? Do you think he's going to be a sub twenty percent batting or strikeout rate going forward? What'd you say he was this year? Sixteen. Sixteen percent after being like twenty five yeah. the previous twenty four percent last year, and twenty six and twenty eight yeah. the previous years. Yeah, yeah, eighteen twenty percent maybe right around. Somewhere if there. if he's doing that, he's going to be a superstar. I mean, he already. He's going to be a first-round pick for a long time, especially with the steals he chips in. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, obviously, monster season. I mean, I think he's probably the NL MVP. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I'm going to own him next year. I don't know. We'll see. But I think that the guys that, I'm going to be targeting more in the first round are going to be contributing more steals or, you know, if, if like it's a thing where I'm mid to late first round, I'm going to be going after like Garrett Cole and those, you know, the, the stud pitchers. I, I don't know. We'll see how it falls. And, you know, obviously I, I think he's going to be first base outfield, right? Yes. So that's interesting, but. I think that if I had to bet, he won't be as good next year as he was this year. Not even really that close, actually, I don't think. But 
I mean, yeah, he's still a stud. I, I expect his ADP will be in the middle of the first round, like six yeah. to six, seven, eight, five, maybe. I think it'll be there. five. Yeah, and I just, I just don't think I'll take him there. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't deserve to go there. He does. It's just the the way it, team construction, the way I'm going to want to build. I just don't think I'm going to take him there. Let me ask you this: uh, him or him game? Francisco Lindor or Cody Bellinger? Probably Lindor. I've thought I agree. of that. The only what thing about- is is the position thing is just something I'll have to look at because of shortstop and first base. I think is going to be more shallow. So. What about Trevor's story? That's a close one. I've thought I've thought about my top like eight or so. And I think story's right there too. Yeah, it's I'll have to look at that. I'm not sure, but it feels like that's think, right I mean, where the I line think, is for me too. I think most people though are taking Bellinger higher, even. Like I mm-hmm. I just don't, you know, I think he's gonna go as high as like four, maybe yeah. even higher. I, he and Betts, I, just, I think, will be kind of back to back. Yeah, I don't like know see, who I'm, will be above. I'm taking Betts over Bellinger. Yeah, like, I am too. I'm, so it's just personal preference, I guess. But I'm just that's what I'm doing. As long as he's not traded to San Diego this offseason. Yeah. Anyways. Of Okay, well. So yeah, sorry to keep bouncing it back to you, but he, uh, he was my two. So, I guess that means I, I have a, your two. You know what? I'm looking at my two and one, and I'm surprised. I'm wondering which one is not on your list because I bet one of them is your number one. I just don't know which one. My number two is a guy I know you have a share of, and you. That's why I think you'll be your number one, and that would be. He was ranked 280 as the 30th second baseman, and that would be DJ LeMahieu. Wow. Is he your one? No. Okay. No. No, I didn't, okay. even have him. I didn't even have him listed. I bet we have the same one. We'll see. Uh, it, while injuries plagued the Yankees all season, DJ was the heart and soul of that Yankee offense, especially in the middle of the season. And he finished with a 327 batting average with 26 home runs and five stolen bases. People were scared off this guy leaving Colorado, but man, he was incredible this year. Yeah, yeah, he definitely was. I, for whatever reason, I kind of glossed over him, but yeah. yeah, definitely a huge year. Okay, so I think we've talked about this before. I'm not sure that's a guy. I, it, it depends where he's going in drafts, but that's a guy I feel I like could be really overdrafted next year. See, I, I feel the opposite. I feel yeah. like he doesn't get any credit. Yeah, I, I think that he's going to go probably in a higher spot, obviously, than he did last year. But I don't know. I feel like DJ LeMahieu is just always going to be underrated. And whatever his ADP is next season, I'm not saying I'm going to be all over it. But I don't know, man. It's like... He's obviously the clear established leadoff hitter on the New York Yankees now. Yep. And that carries a lot with it, you know. Yeah. And he's so. a, he's just a, he's just a really good hitter that's going to get on base like it's a you know, it's not a guy that's going to like lose his job and all that stuff. You know, it's there's not really much risk I don't feel like. 
And while the entire package maybe isn't the most glamorous thing in the world, it's it's pretty good. And I, I just think that people still think he's boring and will brush him off maybe a little more than they should. I don't know for sure, but I it all, work, it all comes uh, down to the price, just like with everybody else. It's hard. It's hard to predict if what's going to happen with this baseball, and we can't even expect it. Like, just go in and expect it to be what it was before. But Tinker knocking that ball back a little bit, I think he's a guy that could be affected by more by it more than others. And yeah. but that said, he's going to hit leadoff for the Yankees. I agree with you there. And in only in 145 games, he still managed to score 109 runs. With the boppers all injured all a lot of the year, yeah. To where and yeah. drove in a hundred. I mean. And those are hard. Like runs is one of the most overlooked stats in fantasy baseball, and he's one of the guys who you ex- you should expect going into the year to be right there at the top at that category. So, I guess it just depends on where he's going. If he's go if if he's overlooked, I could definitely see myself getting in on him. But it just depends on where that price is. Yeah. The, the other thing too, it's like most, like most players, I feel like you can't comfortably project batting average or, or at least yes. be uh, like, there's a lot of guys in the league. I mean, the majority of them, I wouldn't project to be a plus in batting average, but I think it's pretty safe to project. I mean, he's, he's a three Oh two career hitter over 4,000 at-bats. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty safe that he's going to help you in batting average. And even though that's like a fluky up-and-down stat, I mean, with him, I, I think it's pretty safe. You know, he when, could win the AL batting title any given year. I mean, he was close this year. When you strike out 15% of the time for your career, yeah, you're going to be a batting average guy unless you just can't hit the ball with any authority. And... He hits, yeah, he can hit it hard enough to where, yeah, I agree. He's a, you expect a plus batting average. Yeah. All right, well, who's your number one? So when I did these, I was kind of trying to mix in, like, guys that were great values and just the elite guys. I couldn't make this list without putting Ronald Acuna on it. Oh, so he's he's number one. You know, I didn't put him on 41 my list. Forty-one home runs, thirty-seven stolen bases. I mean, led the led the NL. I think it was in two of the five categories. I think he was second in the majors in runs scored. I mean, I don't know what else to say. He was, you know, going like pick five, six, seven, whatever it was, but incredible season. And it just, it's like one of those things that just would have felt funny, not putting, you know, putting somebody like, like, I'll just say that how I mentioned earlier, the guy I wanted to put on this list, Jorge Soler, I wanted to Mm. include him Mm because I think he deserves a mention. He was on my honorable mentions. Yeah. With the year he had, but it's like, when I'm sitting there deciding between these guys, you know, it's like I had to put a couple big, big time elite guys on there, especially if we're talking like MVPs. So 
Acuna belongs. He's a stud. I don't know why I didn't even write him down. I know I thought about him when I was thinking about this, but when I looked at it, I looked at performers and I was thinking about, I looked at ADP and I just kind of glossed over him, but he definitely no issue with anybody putting him at number one, because for starters, he was the best player in fantasy this year and he wasn't ranked number one. You took him in the middle of the first round and I go back to, uh, we, both participated in a Prospect 361 mock draft last December. And I had like the fifth, sixth, seventh pick, something like that. And I took Acuna. And my second round pick was Trevor Story. And my third round pick was Vlad Jr. And I remember somebody commented after I took Vlad that it's like, Justin, you look like you're just trying to get mentioned on the podcast. And I chuckled. I thought it was funny. But it I legitimately bought into all three of those guys in those spots and two of the three worked out really well. I thought both of them had opportunities to outdo that draft position and they did. Yeah. And Acuna was the man. And I, we've already both said we're taking them number one in dynasty and I, we're both taking them number one in redraft at this point. Yeah, maybe I'm not a hundred percent, but probably. Oh, Okay, so you're not yeah, really decided. I'm not. Uh, I don't know. I don't have to worry about that yet, so I'm not thinking about it too much. But possibly, yeah. I, I don't know. My number one was a guy who pretty much was undrafted. He was ADP. I I had to dig a while before I found his name, and it was at Danny Santana at ADP seven hundred and forty-two. <laughs> So if you took him in a draft and hold league, you took him in the 50th round after you took him at his ADP. <laughs> I knew you're, I knew you were going to mention him when I, cause I dropped his name yesterday when I was talking to you, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, uh, I had him listed too. Just, you can only put five names down, but yeah, that, yeah, that I did... think, I think when I tried to pull up his ADP, it wasn't even pulling it up. You had to go down a long way. <laughs> no, I don't even like because because now when you look up ADPs, it includes the ones like that are going on now. Really? Yeah, and I changed the dates so it was just last off season, and I couldn't even find him. Well, that's what I, I was I, doing. Is I was looking at the November eighteen to. January 19th or February, whatever, March 19th. Yeah, I did it. I did it to like March, whatever. I, I just didn't find him. Maybe he was there. But if he was, he was. If he 742. Was yeah. yeah. <laughs> 96th first baseman overall in, that, in the ranks. Yeah, and season. Yeah, he didn't play until you know, mid-April. I, you know, I picked him up in RM2. And dropped him like three different times. I picked him up, dropped him, picked him up, dropped him, picked him up, dropped him. I think it was three. And I kept thinking like, man, this guy's going to stick. This guy's going to stick. And then I finally, somebody else picked him up. And I, I don't have him now. It sucks. But I, I just kept thinking because there was like, oh, I've got, I need room for this guy or need a pitcher. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I'll just drop him because no one else wants him. I'll pick him back up. And, Finally, somebody else caught on. I forget who grabbed him, but yeah, what a season! I mean, not, I'm 28 homers, 21 steals. It's for totally free. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty good. Yeah, I. I mean, that's a top tier player right there that they got for nothing. 
Yeah. And I, I, you can word it however you want. Taking Acuna as the MVP because he was the best player in the first, going in the middle of the first, or a guy who wasn't near that, or wasn't Acuna, still really dang good, but and went undrafted. Either one, both of them deserve are perfect fits for the MVP. Yeah. All right. So, who were your others? Let's just run down them. We don't uh, need to just, break uh, them down. List list that I had. Soler, Simeon, Danny Santana, Yelich, Story, and Trout. Okay. Uh, let's so, see. Just Mine kind of were... a mixed bag. I mean, I was <clears> trying – I kind of sorted – I had value guys and then elite guys, you know. Yeah. And I was, I was kind of trying to mix and match. I did the same with pitchers. You know, it's – so I just kind of took a few from each. My hitters were – let's see, the ones not listed – Rafael Devers, Jorge Soler, Ketel Marte, Yuli Gurriel, good one. Jordan Alvarez, and Tommy Edmond. Nice. Okay. Well, let's do pitchers. I'll let you start it off again. Who would you? Or actually, let's let let me. I'll start them off this time around. Okay. And my number five, I actually threw two guys. Both of them, their ADP, two closers whose ADP was around. One, right at 112, pitchers 36 and 37, and that would be Kirby Yates and Josh Hader. I cheated and threw two of them in there. Yates seemed like a guy who would get traded midseason. He finished with a 1-1-9 ERA with 41 saves, and he wasn't traded. And then Hader, however, benefited from an injury to Corey Kniebel and was the best reliever on the planet, going having a 2.62 ERA with 37 saves, and I didn't even write it down, but gobs of strikeouts. Nice. I didn't. Uh, I didn't use any relievers, so. But I definitely thought about Yates at least. So. Yeah, both were awesome. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Well, who's your five? So my number five is a former top prospect that was awful last season. And basically turned into the ace of the Chicago White Sox. Lucas Giolito, ADP 575. He was my number one. Number one, really? Yes. Wow, nice. Yeah, 575 ADP. I mean, 176 innings, 228 Ks. I might have had him a little higher if the innings were a little higher. But, yeah, Yeah. nothing nothing you can complain about there. No, he was incredible. Got a little velocity back in his arm, and it sure seemed to make the world a difference because yeah. he was touching 90, 91 all of 2018 and just getting beaten around. Kind of like Dylan Bundy. It was pretty similar. Both guys, their velocity was gone, and they were getting banged around. And Gad got three miles an hour or so back on that fastball, and he went from being Dylan Bundy to an ace. I feel bad. I took your one already. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It's pitchers. You it just... sucks. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, I'll go number four then. Four, yeah. I guess. I guess I know your number one won't be mine. Yeah. Um, three sixteen ADP, pitcher one eighteen, and I know come the end of spring that shot way up, but that's just what it was on NFBC. That would be Chris Paddock with the Padres. He's another rookie who came out up early and start who uh, and started strong. 140 innings, 
He finished with a 3.33 ERA and 153 strikeouts. Nice. Yeah, he's he's a stud. I uh, I didn't have him listed, but that's nothing against him. I mean, awesome. There's year. a lot of options. Yeah, there's a lot of them. Okay. Well, then who's your four? Number four. Um, a veteran that I definitely... I mean, I don't think anybody saw this coming. 515 ADP, 246 strikeouts, over 200 innings. Lance Lynn. Yeah. Texas Rangers. Man, I I tell you, I had on that online championship team, I had Lynn and Giolito both. (laughs) And I basically picked those guys up. I... I know for sure with Giolito, I'm trying to remember with Lynn, but I picked those guys up for like a couple fab bucks on like two start weeks, you know, in early in the season, like April or whatever, or maybe early May. And I don't think they ever once came out of my lineup the rest of the year. Not I with just, how they I performed. Mean, they, they turned into they, – they almost turned into like – I mean, I had Strasburg, but other than that, it was like they were my two and three. You know, I was just riding them every single week. And it almost just got to the point when it got to be the end of the summer. I'm just like, man, this is just like comical, especially with Lynn. I mean, I wasn't as shocked with Giolito as some people just because I I even said I remember before the year thinking like it's not that crazy if Giolito breaks out. I mean, he's yeah. not that far removed from – you know, being the best pitching prospect in the game. But, um, I mean, it was awful last year, obviously. But Lynn, uh, man, what a year. Especially in Texas. It's just like such a crazy time to break out. But, yeah, he definitely found it. So, good for him. Honorable mention for me. But, yeah, the more I think about it, he should have been up above some of these guys. I mean, you could make the argument he's number one. Real lazy. Yeah, a lot of it with him I had to do with just because he was where you got him, you know, yeah. free, basically. So My number three is Mike Soroka, who had an ADP of 471. He was pitcher number 159, and he was brought up to start in mid-April, and he seized the opportunity and ran with it, finishing with a 13-4 and record and 29 starts with a 2.68 ERA. Now, I will admit that I'm still pretty skeptical on him with that low K rate and an XFIP that's a full run lower than what was expected or higher than what he finished with. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be in on this guy next year. It seems like others, as I hear people talk, are higher on him than I am, but that doesn't take away from what he did this year. Yeah, great season. He's a stud. I'm kind of with you. I mean... I tend to get married to strikeouts with pitchers, and he's not exactly a strikeout wizard, but he's pretty much a wizard everywhere else, so yep, it's hard to complain. Okay, well, who's your three? So my three is every year I feel like when you enter – into the the following draft season you've got like the the young the one young guy 
that shoots pretty much to the top and gets all the helium in the world. And generally I'm off of those guys and I have a feeling I'm going to be off of this guy, but it has nothing to do with how awesome he was. Shane Bieber. My mm. God, man, just unreal. One thirty eight ADP. I mean, he was second in the league in innings pitched 259 K's a whip just over one. I mean, he's just totally changed himself as a pitcher, added velocity, and still doesn't have a great fastball. So, you know, that's kind of like among the elite pitchers, that's, you know, he may have like the worst fastball of all the guys that are considered elite pitchers entering next year, but it's kind of nitpicky too. I mean, pretty incredible season. I have a feeling he's going to go really, really high next year. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's a third, fourth-round pitcher next year in 15-team yeah. leagues. and That's probably a little too high for my blood, too. But he was incredible. I drafted him in the draft and hold league as my starting pitcher three. And that worked out real well. Unfortunately, Chris Sale and Severino were my one and two. So that didn't, <laughs> that kind of, that more than canceled out the good. Part. Yeah. Yeah. Geez. That's like, that's right. Yeah. Remember how I said my redraft teams didn't go well? That, yes. Well, it's funny because the Beaver pick is like a total grand slam. I mean, that's yep. great. But yeah, when Severino's won, that's like they yes. both gave up grand slams without getting an out. Is what they were. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Bieber was awesome. He wasn't on my list, but he definitely belongs on it. I, that was another one I just didn't see when I went through it, but he definitely belongs. Okay, um, I know my number two is also not on your list because it's my last, and it'll be my last guy because my one's already done, and this is. Another reliever who ADP at 748, pitcher number 393 on the board. That'd be Liam Hendricks with the Oakland A's. Basically undrafted, even on a lot of draft and hold leagues. And Blake Trinan Trinan looked like the clear closer for Oakland, but injuries and ineffectiveness led to Hendricks getting a shot, and he ran with it. And 85 innings, he had a sub-2 ERA a sub one whip and 124 strikeouts. Absolutely huge for owners who picked him up. Yeah. I, uh, I managed to grab him in Roto Masters one. And it, if you would have told me that he was the guy that I had in and Edwin Diaz was the guy I had on my bench for like pretty much, the whole second half of the season, if not even more, I would have never believed it. I mean, that's just the direction those two, because I have Diaz in that league too. It's just the direction those guys went just totally crazy. But yeah, he, he helped me a ton. I mean, I, I had him in there, you know, every week. So great season for sure. You know, when I was going through an FBC ADP on pitchers and just scrolling through, the, I wasn't searching for his name. I was just searching for Oakland pitchers. And as I keep yeah. going through, I keep finding different relievers as in the four, five, six, seven hundreds before I got to him. I mean, he was probably like the fifth reliever on the depth chart going in these drafts. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Okay. Yeah. Who's your two? 
Number and two. While is, you're at it, do your one also right yeah, after because I, I don't have one. Too. Number two, I went a little more uh, kind of like I did with MVP or the, with the hitters. I went a little higher up. Number two, I've got my boy. Thank you for everything this year, Steven Strasburg. Ah, yes. Man, just awesome season. I mean, where I mean, he's pretty much drafted like a low end ace or a high end two, and he's pretty much was a high end ace, you know? Yep. Just awesome season, pitched the whole year. I always have felt like with this guy, I've said it forever that the injuries aren't predictive and you know, when he has that year where he's healthy, he's going to be an ace and it's exactly what happened. So feels good. Happy about it. Good to see him still cruising along in the postseason. So. Yeah. Incredible season. Good for him. I'm real glad. I've always been a fan of his and I'm glad first time since 2014, he reached that 200 inning mark. He hadn't been over, 175 innings since then. Yeah. And yeah, he brought it in 209 innings and was absolutely awesome. All right. Well, who's and your one? Number one. So this was kind of like um, what I said with Acuna. I've got Co. And I think that these guys should honestly be the Co Cy Young in the AL. Garrett Cole and Justin Verlander. Let me just run this down mm-hmm. here, okay? So, and I, I couldn't put one on without the other. I was like, I'm just going to put them both at one because to me it's like, you know, one, one, a, whatever. So yeah. in the AL, Garrett Cole was first in ERA. Justin Verlander was second. In, in, and this is all AL. Wins, Verlander was first. Cole was second. Strikeouts, Cole was first, Verlander was second, both over 300. Uh, what's the name? Sorry. Whip, Verlander was first, Cole was second. This is in the entire American League. Verlander, lowest whip, I believe I heard since Pedro Martinez in 2000. Don't quote me on the year, but it was definitely since Pedro. Batting average against. Verlander first, Cole second. And innings pitched, Verlander was first, and Cole was actually third. So it's like every single stat that's relevant for pitchers, you know, surface stats, they are at the top. I mean, (laughs) they both deserve it. They're still pitching in the playoffs and just dominating. I mean, Verlander had the one rough start, but just crazy seasons out of both those guys. I felt like I... Wanted to include them. I it, it was hard for me to put MVP pitcher in fantasy and not put one. And if I'm putting one, I got to put the other one. So I had them both tied at the top. They deserve it. They are the two best pitchers in baseball right now. Yeah, it's it's like unf- unfair that what Houston is with those two. I mean, it's just like I mentioned before. It it reminds me of Johnson and Schilling. It's like. Uh, yeah, when you have two super aces back to back, it's just it's uh, it's crazy. I I wish any these teams luck. Yankees won tonight, so it's probably good for them because they got to face those two next two games. Yeah, 
they should be really happy if they just beat one of them. Oh, yeah. That's a huge win if they yeah. can get one of the next two. Right, right. Because they're going to have to face them both again. Right. Yeah. Yeah, they're tough, man. They're, they're like, right at that point because, you know, Verlander's obviously older and, you know, Cole probably won't even be there next year. But it's just, like, they're, like, right at that point where it's just – full on Verlander and full on Cole and it's it's just so insane to watch it really is I'm glad you brought up the Coles are probably not going to be there next year because that was going to be what I was going to bring up I uh I've heard plenty during the year Garrett Cole he's going to be a Yankee next year and I haven't really looked into it at all but I saw that interview with Garrett Cole after he finished off game five and they were talking about the game, and then the announcer said, well, I don't think I can finish this without asking. And she And he, she started with, now, you grew up in New York. And he goes, oh, no. It's like he already was thinking she was about to bring up the op, like where he's going. But um, she, that, what, that wasn't where she was going. She's like, you know, you grew up in New York. You met your wife in New York. That's where you guys went to school and got married. I know you, you grew up a Yankee fan. What's it going to be like pitching in the ALCS against the Yankees? Which I don't think that's what he was thinking was coming. I, I wasn't. And then it, you could see him almost start tearing up talking about it. And I, I immediately as I'm seeing that, I'm thinking, uh-oh, that guy's going to be a Yankee next year. If yeah. they are even remotely close in the offer, He's going to the Yankees. You uh, you don't think Houston will push for him? No. No? I think they'll try, but I don't think they'll be able to get there. I, I think they'll know. try, but I, I, I just think don't. I, I was thinking of because of the one couple podcasts ago when you like shot it down right away when I said, I think I said something like, he may not be there next year. and you were like, oh, he won't be, and I, I don't know. I think that there's a chance. I, I would bet on it, but I don't think Houston's just gonna like brush it off and like, oh yeah, he's gone. Whatever, you know, like they're gonna try and hang on to him. I think. I think That's, they're gonna make an offer. I just don't think it's gonna be enough. Yeah, it may not be. Definitely might be right on that. I just, I can't imagine them like just blowing it off you know i just can't i i can't either but i mean they got verlander for pretty much nothing they got cole for pretty cheap too when they got them and they signed verlander but they got him to only lock down a two-year deal right right i think that's part of why they trade for grinky they i think that's a front office that's incredibly disciplined with everything they do they are i agree yeah and i think they're just not going to be a team that's willing to give Cole seven years, five years, maybe not even but, five years. Yeah. And other teams will. I think it's the years is going to be the problem. Yeah. No, I, I don't doubt it. You're, you're probably right. I just, I don't know. There's, I feel like it's just got to be, it's got to be tempting. To, oh, yeah. You know, I mean, and I, I don't even know. I mean, I'm not even sitting here saying whatever deal Cole gets is going to work out great because I actually would, if I had to bet, I'd probably bet it doesn't just because they usually don't, it seems mm-hmm. like. But, but man, when you're Houston and you've like staring this 
competitive window in the face and mm-hmm. he's your guy and he's out there, you know, 300 plus K's and, and your window is right now. It's just, man, I don't know how you just say, uh, Garrett Cole, you can just go somewhere else, especially if it's the Yankees who they're obviously competing with right now to get to the world yeah. series. It's just, it's tough, but I I'm with you on like the, the discipline part and all that. I, I get that. They just might be smart about it, and it's like a business decision, you know? I will say this, though, and this is what they have going for them. The Yankees seem to be doing the same thing. They've gotten yeah. a lot more discipline the last few years. But yeah. if all things are pretty close to equal, and what I could see Houston doing is like a four-year, $120, $130 million offer. I could see them making that kind of offer to them. But I think there might be somebody who's willing to go six, seven years. That's, yeah, and that's yeah. scary, and they yeah, they're not doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's a long time. All right, well, who were your honorable mentions? We'll close off with that. Uh, I just had um, Miner, Mike Miner, Degrom, Scherzer, and the one that I probably should have put on the list and didn't, and I was kind of hoping you would, Jack Flaherty. Ah, you know what? When you I mean, were I reading actually, off your number two, I thought you, that was who you were about to say. Yeah, I actually don't even know how I he didn't get on my list. I think it was one of those where I um, I wanted to include Lynn and Giolito because of where they went. It was just yeah. so late. And then um, Bieber was just late enough and ridiculous enough that it mattered. And Straws and Flaherty, I guess, you know flip a coin I, I had to include colin verlander so yeah it was just it's tough but yeah he definitely deserves a mention too so. yeah flaherty's first half was not pretty and i i, I don't think i i just overlooked him I, he didn't even make my honorable mentions but he finished with such a great season that i definitely he definitely belongs in here yeah um mine were lance Lynn, like you had on there mike minor the two i had on here that you haven't mentioned sunny gray who had an awesome year and Domingo Herman, who also had a really good first half, second, or yeah. at, w- while he was healthy. Now, I remember yeah. that was Herman was a guy you were talking up before the season. That was a real good call, I remember. On yeah, your yeah. I had him on a team or two. Was, yeah, he was good. Okay. Well, that wraps it up. That's a That was pretty fun. That got a lot of players talked about there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, always. Uh... Always fun talking about this stuff. Yeah. We were originally going to try talking about, well, I don't, shoot, I already forgot. What were we going to talk about before? Um, I, maybe how like bad our bold predictions were before yes. the year. <laughs> yes, that was it. I actually went back and listened to the podcast and listened to our 10 bold predictions. I had 10 and you had, don't we each had 10. And we're going to cover those next episode. We're yeah, gonna, we'll, yeah, we'll still go over it. Yeah, there and you say how bad. There were some good ones each of us had, too. So that'll be fun to go back and cover over. <laughs> and probably we'll be, next time we get back here, the NLC, this, the championship series, who knows? We may have a World Series going on by then. We're getting yeah. getting set up. So, Okay. You got anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Nope. That's uh, pretty much it. Hope, uh, hope for your sake, Flaherty gets it done Monday. Cause... He'd better. 
Yeah. Or, you know, I may not have plans. I may have open plans Wednesday night, if so. <laughs> yeah, I may be time to wave the white flag, if not. Yeah, oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think it, I mean, it's pretty close to white flag waving already when you lose two at home. That's tough to rebound from. Yeah. Okay. If they, if they, can, give, if they can get it back home, you never know, but you got to take two out of three, I guess. So. Yeah. Let's see. That's not going to be easy to do, but you never know. All right, well, appreciate y'all, and take care, everybody. Yeah, take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us baseball365pod at gmail.com and if you like the show take a moment rate us on iTunes and once again please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook that's where baseball lives 365 days a year we'll be right back